Hello, everyone. All right. Back porch with Cody Dunford. Here we are. My... The theme of this podcast is to talk about imperialism and capitalism and the pernicious and pervasive effects of colonialism. As I... To it, to the extent of my knowledge and my own intuition. Now, my point. All of you old and young white fuckers that think that you have any claimship over this land, you don't. You know, when you hear about these mountain, these mountain men, right? <laughs> and then they'll defend their land. Their land. I find myself, again, saying, no. This is not your fucking land. The very means that were used to conquer this land. You do not get to hold ownership because you do not respect this land. Nor do you respect the world. That's my thesis. Now, my introductory paragraph, I suppose. White people <laughs> you might be saying to yourself, Cody, you're a white person. Yes, my skin is white. Yes, it is. I am the the latest in the line of white people in my family. Why I say the latest is because I see more than anybody else has ever seen in my family and continues to see. My sister bred with a Native American person who also feels a very righteous indignation. However, he took it out on the wrong person. He took it out on my sister. And he continues to take it out on the wrong people. The people that are here now. Look, this is me. The late term generation of white folk in this country. Very territorial. Which is so ironic to me. Because if they did their research, they'd realize, as I am realizing, that we have no claim over this land at all. The only reason why you feel like you do is because of paper and pen. 
money exchanged. Your ancestors didn't come from here, did they? No, they did not. 1,000%, I know they didn't. Nor did mine. But I also have a Nordic mind. This coming election between, as the media puts it, Biden and Trump, there are many people of color, people who are the progeny of slave owners and of slaves themselves, who will cuddle up to more tyranny. Trump and Biden continued tyranny. A cycle of history that repeats itself. It is a class war. Make no mistake. One of the thoughts, and I might have shared this already. One of the thoughts I've had for a very long time is that America, let's say more accurately, colonialized, and late-term capitalistic America, is starting to look like 18th century England and France in the sense that the rich get rich and the poor get poorer to breed about a revolution in which the rich will get richer. Because who are the poor going to buy their weapons from? The manufacturers. Yes, there are some manufacturers of weapons that we wouldn't classify as like the rich, right? But ask the question then, who do they buy their materials from? Who did they get their business license from? Listen close. The means to a revolution are also funded by the aristocracy. <laughs> you don't believe me? Look at the news. They will fund a populace this is CIA shit. They did this in Iraq. They will fund a militant group, and they'll call them a radical group. They will fund them with the tools and even help them ignite the propaganda, help them ignite the 
cause via propaganda and then give them the weapons for it. Why? So that they can crush it, demonize them in the news, and then take their resources. And then have their nation not see them as the fucking warmongers that they are. Hmm? Seek inside yourself for a minute. Let's both sit. One thing I ask you to ask yourself in this meditation is, how would you do it? If you wanted to destabilize a country, or if you want to destabilize and dissect the general public, which you knew were coming to unheave you, Unheave. Ooh, I like that. But I don't think that's a word. Unheave. Mm. Upheaval. Unsheathe. You knew a general public was coming for you. You know they have the power over you because all they need do is say no collectively. And you've lost your power. So how would you do it? Some of you that might have children... Your children are coming for you because they don't care for your power style. Your power style. How would you divide them? And or maybe there are some of you who don't want to do that. Oh, but then you must. You must seek deeper inside yourself as to why you are the way that you are. That is my interpretation. So this power struggle, this, uh, this facade of a power struggle, will have us thinking. It is us against them. It doesn't matter which side you want to vote. I've seen a lot of persons of color wanting to vote for Trump and even actively advocating for Trump. And in my mind, this is foolish. as much as anybody wanting to vote for Biden. And in another way, Joe Jorgensen. The free market won't regulate itself at all. Going full private, and now follow me here, my own, and really, my only experience with what the free market might look like is with Ron Swanson in Parks and Recreation, a TV show written by some person who is a brilliant writer who also wrote The Good Place and a number of episodes in The Office. He has been a cultural hacker. Brilliant. 
his latest, as far as I know, his latest creation is The Good Place, where moral ethics, or moral philosophy and ethics are analyzed. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Sit with it. Just like you sat through the first season of The Office. Just like you sat through the first season of Parks and Rec. You must sit with this show. There are more things in play. And I really think he came to his own with the good place. And that's just my opinion. I know that it affected me. And I know that everybody who has watched it all the way through, it has affected. I think the writer knew and learned something more. That being said, he is dealing with uh, Descartes, mostly, it seems, and some very psychedelic ideology, metaphysical ideology, let's say that, because that's more accurate. One of the most poignant takeaways that I had from The Good Place was this interesting idea of the time knife, where time is folding on itself eternally. And then when you go into the void, the idea of the void, where time and space does not exist. And I wonder what that feels like. And then I played a video game called <laughs> Dishonored. Dishonored 1 and 2. There is no main protagonist or antagonist. The person that stands out for me in that video game is the outsider. That is what he is called. I don't think he's like a... It seemed like he was a curator of the void. And then at times a god of the void. But then you could have bestowed upon you in this video game the outsider's mark and be granted a, a number of extraordinary abilities. All the while, the outsider is talking about his apathy. I don't care. It is just a factual recreation, but, and yet, oh, I hope that makes sense, a mirror reflection right the fuck back at you in terms of consequence. The consequence of your actions, even if he gave you his mark, he wasn't judging. 
He was just showing you exactly what you are. Because he doesn't care. He doesn't care to be worshipped. I'll give you my mark. You can have these abilities and I will see what you do with them. Fascinating is really how he sees us. Does that make sense? The outsider, not even the curator or the creator of the void, and I don't think he is the steward of the void because there is no such thing as a steward of the void. The void is And that's it. It feels like a place, but it isn't. It smells like a place, but it also smells unfamiliar and yet cold. Stepping into that can be unnerving because then at that point, as I'm feeling it now, receiving something right now, <laughs> on the other side, if there is one, maybe on the other side of mentality that I'm experiencing. It won't ever matter who's in political power. Listen, and this is what I mean. Mm. I don't have to talk down to you, do I? You already know, especially if you listen to this podcast. You already know very intimately what it is to see your own darkness. Or at least to, to hear mine. You also know what it is to hear my light. You know what I sound like when I'm light and heavy. You also know what it sounds like when I'm dark and light. This is important because you have that same capability. Now, what I mean, and again, this upcoming election is no different than when <laughs> than in any of them. They only want you watching. They Like a, um, like an uproarious child are only aggravated by your apathy. If you do not care and you do not watch, vote for sure. Why not? Absolutely. The media, CNN, all these broadcasting companies, 
They're going to make a fucking killing. And I use that word on purpose. They're going to make lots of fucking money. Because you care. They're playing on your fucking emotions. And I'm sure there have been people in the past that said, turn your radio off. Fuck it. Yeah. Ooh, and they hate those people. The aristocracy, the, uh, the elite. They need attention. They desperately need it. And the people that support them also see that. Maybe subconsciously. But they see that too. And they want to be affiliated with somebody who's getting attention. Because they did not feel like they were getting attention before. But so, if I vow myself to this one political party, especially one that seems to be in power, then I finally will get the attention I deserve. The attention that they deserve is the attention they should be serving themselves. You should be serving yourself that same attention. That attention. <laughs> In my mind, attention, because of my military background, resembles control. Power over one's peers. A form of manipulation. You will have my attention. Because I am telling you something. Something I know more than you about. I struggle with that as well. I str what I mean is I struggle with um, I want to be paid attention to, especially when I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Or better said, in regards to when I, in regards to what I'm telling you about. <clears throat> if I know something, I demand your attention. Because this was hard fought. This knowledge that I have. And at the same time, and probably not in the same instance, but at the same time, because time is a construct, time doesn't actually exist, but it's a continuation of existence. Uh, in this moment now, I can realize that that is how I felt and still feel. I can also realize in this moment and in this time that if you would like to know what I know, 
You can ask, and I will tell you. I also want all of you to know, who are listening, maybe all three of you, which I am so grateful for, and I'm here for you. And it'd be really cool if we could have some um, dialogue eventually. Uh, I would really like to talk to you, talk with you. But I do this for you. I do this for me, and I do this for you. So back out into the cold night. Hmm. All right, so that, um, that, uh, right, I need to remember. Give me a moment while I think. Yes, the uh, give me a moment. Right. I don't remember. I don't remember, but I will. Hmm. I wonder if I'm even still recording. Oh, good. I am. Lovely. Oh. It's dodgy on this side. Okay. So that. One thing I want to say is I'm thinking of you, Rachel. I remember you saying that you listened to my podcasts. You were the first person to say that you listened. No, second. Jessica first. You second. Maybe I need to speak to you. Hmm. That does kind of derail what I was trying to talk about, but I guess this is how we flow. Rachel, 
Rachel White. Let me tell you about Rachel White, as my experience was with her. And I want to tell you this, just because... Excuse the big diesel truck. I don't have a proper mic for my for my podcast yet, but here it is. Rachel was somebody that I saw as very strong. Stubborn. Beautiful. Gorgeous, in fact. Though I don't think she saw what I saw. Mm. There were carnal moments when I definitely saw you, Rachel, in a lustful sense. And I think those were the moments when I saw you as you wanted to see me. Or I saw you in the way that you wanted me to see you. But then there were other moments, Rachel. Moments when I saw you through my lens. And then my childhood lens. I thought you were abandoning me. But I would never have abandoned you. But that came off in a very clingy way. And I understand why you ran. And you hid yourself away. You were ashamed. But I never saw you that way. And I wanted to be there to help and support. I appreciate that eventually you told me that you need to do it on your own. And you know what? I also didn't respect. I didn't respect it when you said it the first time. And I apologize for that. I did not respect you and your wishes. I suppose the reason why I didn't was because I didn't feel capable of saving myself. So I distracted myself by hopefully trying to save you. (laughs) You are no one to be saved. You can do it yourself. And this is what I'm here to tell you now. You have passions within your life and you keep recreating. You keep attracting saviors, by the way. Your Romanian boyfriend, husband? Very strong. But also very weak. If he can admit that to you, and I stand corrected.
But Rachel, Rachel White, you are strong and you are wise and you know what you need to do. It is scary, I suppose. But what's scarier than me knocking on your door? <laughs> knocking on your window trying to find you. Heaven's sake, while you're probably curled up in your bed. Anyway. I want to also tell you thank you for your grace with me. In regards to me. I want to offer my apology for ever making you feel uncomfortable and unsafe. That wasn't my intention. I wanted to save and I let that dire childhood need get in the way of actually listening to you. So that's, that's how I feel. I hope that you find peace within yourself. I have no idea what that looks like, by the way. There's one other person I would like to speak to that I cannot speak to in person. Her name is Kelsey. Kelsey Madsen, who is now, well, maybe shortly, going to be Kelsey... Uh, um, Mrs. Tresden, as it were. You have a child with him. These stories intertwine. These stories intertwine. Because Kelsey showed up on a birthday, or at least a couple of days preceding my birthday, three years ago, or two years ago, and uh, I know that I led you on. Or maybe you led yourself on. I'm not sure. But I am sure that... I went on the path that was needed. <sighs> but I am still not okay. And I know that you weren't okay. And I know that you did not feel okay. 
when you left that night. But I know that I was not okay if I was being very, very honest with your situation. It was as it is. It just was. In any case, Kelsey, I am sorry. And the reason why I am sorry is because as much as you tried to hide your hurt, I saw it and I felt it. And I didn't know how to deal with it at the time. Not only that, I didn't know how to console and fix it. Uh, but I want you to know that I saw it. That I felt it. And I'm sorry for hurting you. And then I also want to offer my heartfelt gratitude that you are happy. At least in a much better situation than you found yourself that night. And the night at Envy on Haiti's birthday. Hmm. I want you to know that I am sorry for the um, I had no rudder and I thought that you might stay the demons for a moment. And that whole thing was wild, and I appreciate you driving us home. I'm also grateful you got away from Haley's influence. Haley carries a lot of demons within her, demons that are not her own. One, she fucks regularly. Well, not regularly. I have no idea about the sex life. But one that she dwells with, at least. Braden is an obvious answer. But it is much deeper and darker than that, and you know that. Maybe you saw something within me. Maybe I saw something within you. I think I did, and I think you did. And then I turned you away. In a sense. And I am sorry. My heart felt sorry. I hope you listen to it. I hope you listen to this. But if you don't, 
that's okay. So many people, so much pain, and I've only been in this world for 31 years. I don't think I'll ever stop inflicting pain. Until I start speaking my truth from the go-get, from the get-go. It felt much more complicated back then. That's why I say I'm sorry. But now, in this moment, I want both of you to know that the experiences that I had with you have guided me to a beautiful and healthy relationship with Jessica. some way I am unaware as to the intricacies, although I am aware of the intricacies on my end, but they are so vast. What I mean is they are so intricate that in a podcast it, it will be a whole-ass memoir to communicate how this happened. And this is why I say in a grand stroke, in a broad stroke, I am grateful to you, to you both. I am grateful to you both because you held to your standards. You held to your boundaries. Ye powerful women. Thank you for being powerful women. Even when you might have not felt that you were. You were. You had the courage, however it came about, to say no. And in light of that, I will always now, and with many others, as uh, if you follow this podcast, you know <clears throat> that Holly was a powerful woman that said no. And no has power. I'm grateful to you.
Okay. Now I'm in this relationship. Right. If it's good, it feels well. It feels very good. feel safe and I'll tell you why I feel safe I've shared with Jessica some of the most intimate moments that I can she doesn't like to hear about um, non-serious relationships I suspect that is because she has many on serious relationships that she'd rather ignore and pretend didn't happen. Or it could be that, or it could be that she is a a greater sense of what is when it comes to be present. Right. Um she doesn't, she, she'll hear, she'd like to hear about my past relationships, the serious ones, I guess, but serious. Every relationship is serious. Because it shapes you. Every relationship shapes you. Be it friendship, be it a familial relationship or a one-time thing and maybe you don't see it listener well that's okay you don't have to you're not me and that's okay That's all right. I don't take any relationship frivolously. I remember all of you. I remember the first one night stand. Her name was Heather. I didn't bother to learn her last name because I was at a gay club. <laughs> Cece Slaughterhouse, which I guess has now been shut down. Portland, Oregon. It was one of my favorite places to go. I guess it has now been shut down. I was with my friend, Carmen Foca, a gorgeous Romanian woman. Holy shit, gorgeous. On the surface. But still so wrapped up in class. Class warfare. Yeah. 
A very beautiful woman, nonetheless. I thought maybe. Right? I thought maybe if I could fuck her, I'd get into that status. <laughs> she saw through that. She's no idiot. But we went out to her. We went out on a bar night, a pub crawl, you might say. Started at Dixie's. Ironic, I know. Now that I'm in the Dixie state. Not the Dixie state, but... In this fucking town of St. George. Dixie's was a country bar in Portland, Oregon. Hopefully that hasn't been shut down. Or maybe it should be. Anyway, we had a great time. And maybe she wanted to. Maybe she wanted to. Fuck me. I don't know. There are some things. I know that I'm not very good at reading. Um, women's interest in me. Sexually, especially. Or maybe she showed me as a dear friend. Either way, I'm, a, I'm satisfied. I would rather her see me as a dear friend. Anyway, we ended up at C.C. Slaughterhouse, which was a block and a half away, give or take, maybe two blocks. She came upon this girl, Heather, who I assume was interested in women as well. And then when I started showing more interest in Heather than Carmen, because Heather was ready and available and making that very known, Carmen was of the mind that, from what I remember, that, uh, well, You haven't read my signs up until this point. You're, you're clearly reading her signs, so I'm going to go. That's the, the lazy boy perspective, you know, sitting back 2020. And uh, yeah, yeah. I fingered her on the dance floor. Sing, uh, the... Um, C.C. Slaughterhouse had this mirror, this big mirror wall, and I could watch myself finger Heather, and it was hot, it was sexy, yeah, and I took her home. She said she lived in St. John's, oh, I thought that meant Washington, apparently that did not mean that she lived in St. John's, Washington, it meant that she lived in St. John's, Oregon. Fuck. So anyway, we're halfway across the bridge between Portland and Vancouver. This becomes a realization. Can't turn around. And then I get to talking with her. 
And I don't remember the conversation on the way to my bed. All I remember it was a fantastic fillet. Twice at night, once in the morning, and I drove her to her car. She gave her, she gave me her name and her number, and I never called her again. I drove her back to her car in Portland. It was an inconvenience, but I wasn't going to abandon her, at least until I knew that she was safe in some sense. But I never called her again. It was, by all accounts, my first one-night stand. And I remember talking to the other men <laughs> that were in my life and telling them, telling one man, West, his name was West, that I don't ever want to do that again. I feel dirty, in a sense, because it was all an outright lie. I had no intention of seeing her again, but I wanted to fuck. The wheels had been put in motion. I could have stopped it, but I didn't want to. I wanted to fuck. If I could have fucked her on the dance floor, I probably would have still taken her home and fucked her again and again. Something about her, the way that she smelled, the way that she tasted. I would have, no matter what. Back then, rudderless. Does that make sense? Rudderless. No clear intention as to where I was going, to who I was going to be with. Just whoever for the night and the morning. This, these were the days after Holly, after my engagement. <laughs> I caused a lot of pain during that engagement and after. Maybe that's why I knew I had to be here in St. George. And even that pain carried on. It did. And I know it did. 
I'm sorry for anybody that I've hurt. Maybe it was my intention to hurt you. Subconscious or not, it doesn't heal your pain. This is the awareness that I expect out of all of my leaders. Tying it into what I was talking about before, well before when this podcast was started. We must sit with ourselves and realize that those things that you thought you were doing out of goodwill can be, in fact, misconstrued as harmful. When we realize that our emotions are our own responsibility then we can get to the heart of why we feel this way and why certain events trigger us in such a way then I hope we need nothing more from nationalism that maybe we should eat the rich. And I'm not talking about the assholes that make 800000 a year. They're not the rich. Even the assholes that make a million dollars a year, up and up and up. No, I'm talking about that 1% of the 1%, you know. Those people that have way too much control. Maybe we should eat them. They should definitely pay their fair share in taxes. They exploit enough of us, don't they? They think they know better. And really, they are no better than us. Because don't you exact that kind of, that, that same kind of mentality over your children? Over your lessers, you know? <laughs> when you feel the most cornered, Especially when you're training somebody in a field that you know. <laughs> 